0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Radio Duende. Your host, Kean Eggett, and today on this special episode, we're going to be talking about worms. Again, uh, I figure that a lot of people, uh, when I say stuff about worms, they're probably like, why? Uh, and hopefully, this episode will clarify. Well, let's get started. By the way, uh, Camille is here, she's doing hair uh, in the other room, so if that gets picked up on the microphone, this brand new cool microphone I got, Hachi Chachi microphone, well, then just get the pleasure of hearing her doing her job. And before I really get started, uh, I figured my I should talk about my main uh, source of information on vermicam- vermicomposting and vermicast, which is the Worm Farmers Handbook by Rhonda Sherman. And this is great. It is specific to mid- to large-scale vermicomposting for farms, businesses, municipalities, schools, and institutions. Which, while we're in Belize, we'll be doing uh, hopefully mid- to large-scale vermicomposting. But that doesn't mean that you can't do a small thing at your house, and I'll talk more about that later. How you can get started, what you need, um, what to feed them, and the ideal conditions of the worms. Not to mention all the benefits of vermicomposting and why we do it to begin with. So let's get going. When I'm talking about worms specifically, uh, I'm talking about using them for vermicomposting, uh, and that is a process that relies on earthworms and the microorganisms that uh, live with them to break down organic matter and transform its biological, physical, and chemical characteristics into a stable product that can be used as a valuable soil amendment and a source of plant nutrients. Basically what I'm saying is that organic materials, uh, such as kitchen scraps or uh, cow or horse manure, when they get eaten by worms and pass through them, when they come out, they're a lot more useful and more readily available to be used by plants, which is amazing. And here's why. Vermicast is granulated and has a fine particulate structure. It has a high surface area and water holding capacity, and it contains nutrients in plant available forms, such as nitrates, soluble potassium, transferable phosphorus, exchangeable calcium and magnesium, which are all things that plants love. Vermicast releases these nutrients gradually in a balanced release pattern, unlike fertilizers which you dump on plants and you can get that um, like nutrient shock. Uh, Because basically you're just like throwing testosterones at a bodybuilder, let's say. As opposed to, uh, you know, gradually giving them the correct doses of injections that bodybuilders, certain bodybuilders, not all bodybuilders might uh, enjoy. That's a weird analogy. And I realized just now I said uh, testosterones instead of steroids, but that goes to show how much I know about bodybuilding. Let's keep going. The acids in Vermicast dissolve insoluble minerals and make them available to plants. These acids stimulate plant growth, help plants establish healthier roots, and increase yield. Vermicast also contains plant hormones and plant growth-regulating substances. I've been taking a permaculture class recently, and one thing that I just kind of learned, not very in-depth but a little bit, is that soil contains cations. Uh, Positively charged ions, such as the magnesium, zinc... um, God, I don't want to say too much because I don't know too much. But plants which require these uh, release hydrogen atoms in exchange for them. Uh, And I guess vermicomposting helps make these minerals, these uh, cations, more readily available for plants to swap out and use. Besides that... Research studies have shown that vermicast improves soil aeration, porosity, and water retention. And the reason that vermicast improves the physical structure of soil has to do with its enhanced microbial populations and activity, Uh, such as, you know, like as the worms are traveling through their own burrows and they're secreting this ooze from their bodies and pooping behind them, there's all sorts, there's a whole... Uh, ecosystem living in the walls of their burrows feeding off of their slime and their own poop and creating their own little communities that utilize all of these these uh, uh, (laughs) leavings I guess these substances those substances also like the mucus secretions also help cement the soil particles together causing aggregate stability So it's sort of like a glue that keeps the soil from being too fine and too dusty. Uh, It also helps it retain water more. So soil that has worms living in it is gonna be more moist simply because the worms live there. And because it's more moist, more worms can live there. It's one of those uh, amazing feedback loops that you find in nature that it's just like, if conditions are right, conditions are gonna get better but it all relies on everything living there working together to get there and speaking of good conditions other studies have shown that amending soil with vermicast causes seeds to germinate more quickly it enhances the rate of seedling growth increases root numbers and biomass uh, it improves root stress tolerance and leads to earlier flowering of plants and increases plant yields so Vermicast decreases plant transplant shock, like when you're trying to take seedlings and put them in your bed, uh, in your garden bed, not your <laughs> not your bedroom bed, uh, and increases the plant vitality and also the flavor profile. Uh, I don't know how they've proven that because everybody's tastes differ, but like a, a pepper plant grown without Vermicast is going to taste less flavorful than a pepper plant with Vermicast also plants grown with vermicast have more leaves and flowers a more total leaf area which means it can do more work greater plant biomass and a higher leaf chlorophyll content so just all over generally a happier plant what's more all this usually occurs independent of nutrient availability which means that you don't need to be dumping fertilizer on the plants for this to be happening a plant with the vermicast in it right next to a plant without it is going to be able to pull more out of the soil than one without. That's amazing. So there's this table in the worm farmers handbook uh, that just has basically all the uh, bountiful benefits for soil if you do vermicast and I'm just gonna read through this real quick because uh, some of it I've already said some of it's a little bit different but it adds organic matter helps soil to absorb and retain water breaks up clay soils, improves soil structure, it increases cation exchange capacity, it eases the cultivation, it helps form soil aggregates, it enhances soil fertility, it reduces bulk density, it improves soil aeration, it increases soil microbial populations, which you need, you know, every ecosystem needs a lot of diversity in it. It reduces soil compaction, uh, it diminishes soil erosion, it reduces the pH level of your soil. It uh, lowers electrical conductivity, uh, helps prevent soil crusting, and produces micro and macronutrients and increases their availability. These are uh, all benefits that you can get from vermicompost. So now that you know a little bit about what it does for the soil, uh, let's talk about how to start doing this I mean maybe you're so excited and you can't wait to get your own worm bin going it's easy it's so super easy and I'll tell you about that right now so I've done a good amount of uh, research on how to start a small like home kitchen uh vermicast operation and there's a few different ways some work better than others I've tried two of them because in my situation, I need a uh, closed system, uh, meaning like they ne- it needs to be in a box or something rather than sitting on the ground like a windrow or uh, or even like a larger compost bin because, well, Camille and I are moving soon, I need to be able to easily just like give these worms to somebody instead of leaving them here for the next, I mean, I guess I could leave them here for the next people, but when you're trying to show a house uh realtors and potential buyers don't get too excited about a big pile of worms in the backyard uh the two that i tried are the first one was what's called a worm hotel Uh, and if you look that up on google you'll see what i'm talking about it's basically a layered tower consisting of three four five different stacks each stack is like a uh three four inch tray more or less That the worms live in. You start at the bottom of the tower, you fill it with your um, kind of like base material, which I'll talk more about in a sec, and the worms live in that. And then when that fills up with compost, then you put the second stack on. And the worms will move from the first stack up into the second stack if you've got food up there for them to eat. And then you do that again with the third, you know, a third stack once they have composted the second one to a certain extent. And by the time they're in the third one, the first stack should be pretty empty of worms. And you can take that and use that as compost, as vermicompost. And you just keep cycling the stacks up and up and up and the worms are forever trying to reach the top. Uh, It's kind of like you've created a sort of weird corporate ladder for them to keep trying to climb. But uh, instead of a glass ceiling, It is just a wooden box top, so that way they don't get fried by too much sun. Worms don't like sun, that's why they live underground. Uh, My apologies for the bad uh, corporate glass ceiling joke. The other option, uh, the one that I've settled on that I like a little more, um, is with a 27-gallon packing tote, Uh, like the bins that you get at Home Depot or Costco for relatively cheap. Camille and I have dozens of these in our garage right now because that's going to be our main source of uh, shipping our goods down. We're going to pack them all up in that, put them in a shipping container and send it all down as like a bulk uh, shipping as a, you know, in one big thing. So since I've got these all lying around, I figured I might as well use some of them in the meantime. And to do that, what I did is I took two of them and the inner one, I drilled a bunch of holes in the bottom of it so that way there's a place for all the fluids that accumulate naturally in, in decomposition and composting to leak out of. So the first bin has holes in the bottom so the juices can drip through. The second bin, which goes around the first bin, I drilled one hole on the side and attached a spigot to it. So that way, once the second bin, which is catching all of those fluids dripping out of the first, fills to a certain level, I can release those fluids into a bucket or a watering can, dilute it with water, and then use that as a sort of tea that I can then water my plants with, and it adds you know, all the benefits of the actual compost. It's, it's still in those juices. You can use that too, which is amazing. It's a, just a natural additive that you can add to your plants, which they love so to do that what you do is yeah and then you keep those covered up you put the worms inside of it you keep them covered up you add the the your kitchen scraps and stuff to it the worms just kind of live in there when you want to pull the compost out you basically put all the food to one side or the other so the worms follow the food and then you have you know and then the other side is relatively free of worms and then you can scoop your compost out of that so that's two easy ways to get going doing that or you can go to Uh, lacounty.gov and they have um, compost bins for sale there and I think you can do a uh, like a smart gardening program where they give you a it's like an online seminar uh, that I took and they can they give you a uh, link to a like discounted worm bin um, at the end of it which uh, I didn't need because I had my totes and if you've got a bunch of like storage bins in your garage that's a lot cheaper and easier but basically what you want to do and here's the steps on how to start is you get a plastic box with a lid or the, that um, worm the hotel that I was talking about or something that it needs a lid needs to have a lot of uh, it needs to have like airflow through it and it needs to be able to keep sunlight out Uh, What you do then is you add bedding to it for the worms to live in. That is coconut core, which is uh, like shredded coconut husks. Uh, You could use shredded newspaper, or if you have a surplus of brown paper bags from from the store, from the grocery store, you can rip those up or shred them. Uh, I was actually using a paper shredder to do this and it was perfect. Uh, And then you spread that at the bottom of the bin or at the bottom of your worm hotel or whatever it is that you're going to be using or even if you're doing windrows, if you have the option of doing a windrow which is basically just a pile of dirt in a dirt field uh, you, you want to start with something for the worms to call home. Uh, you want to keep these uh, spots warm but not too hot you want to keep it out of direct sunlight because you don't want to fry the worms and you want to keep the bedding moist because worms breathe through their skin Uh, But you don't want to keep it too wet because if it's too wet, there's going to be a lack of oxygen and worms need the oxygen. Which is also why you want to allow the air vents and stuff. As I'm saying this, I'm realizing that my 27-gallon tote thing that I'm using doesn't have holes in the top. Which I should probably put holes in the top so that way it doesn't get too moist and uh, has a lack of oxygen. So I'm probably going to go do that as soon as I'm done recording this. Yay! Um, And then once you've got that, you want to put your food scraps in. Uh, that's every time you're cooking dinner you want to keep a little bowl in front of you as you're prepping stuff toss all your vegetable scraps in there your coffee grounds your tea bags Uh, you can crush up eggshells to keep the pH neutral um, or nutshells any stale bread anything that you would normally throw in a compost bin um, you want to do that like leaves from your garden uh, you can throw in there but you want to avoid any meat or dairy uh, because when those break down it can cause anaerobic conditions which means there's no uh, there's a lack of oxygen in the soil which you know will kill the worms uh, you wanna you wanna stay away from animal byproducts um, citrus rinds such as you know oranges and limes and lemons because it's too acidic for the worms you wanna stay from oils fats and grease because as they Uh, They can sit around for a long time. And as they decompose, it also creates anaerobic conditions. Uh, Any processed food you don't want to put in there and any pet droppings and stuff like this is not a good way to get rid of your 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 dog poop, which that's funny because Callie's barking in the background now. (laughs) Good timing, pup. Um, Yeah, so basically you you spread that on top. You kind of like spread it in the top couple inches of the the compost. The worms will work their way to it and eat it. Um, and then you want to kind of, throughout a couple weeks, uh, flip that and and put more on top. Worms work pretty fast at what they do. Um, it takes about two weeks for them to work their way through uh, some compost. You can get usable compost in a matter of weeks, as opposed to four to six months like a regular um, composting system takes. So they're great for that. They're a lot faster. Uh, They don't smell as bad. Um, It's kind of fun to have like thousands of pets that you get to go and hang out with. If you don't have friends, if COVID's been tough on you, uh, then look, instant captivated audience. It's great. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about the ideal conditions. If you're actually going to be doing this, I'll just go through these really quick because this is already almost, uh, well, this is too long of an episode to be just about worms. But if you're interested in worms, this is the episode for you there's tons of resources out there which I'll name a few towards the end Uh, an ideal target for moisture is about eighty percent and you can buy these cool little things that are moisture monitors they have ones that uh, measure moisture pH and uh, light levels all in one little thing and you can just jam that into the worms straight into them Uh, they love it and you can read, you know, all three of the all moisture, pH, and, and light levels. So eighty percent moisture. Uh, you want to keep it around between fifty-five and eighty-five degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, you want to, which is thirteen to twenty-nine degrees Celsius. Uh, you want the pH levels um, ideally to be between six point eight and seven point two. Um, and again, you can crush up eggshells and put them in there to neutralize your pH balance, which is pretty cool so I mentioned before that um, worm vermicomposting takes a lot less time than regular composting but I figured I should probably say the difference between the two Uh, so you know exactly what it is that you're getting into if you have a composting bin that's great you can keep doing that you could also do a worm bin Uh, why not do both redundancies in a system are uh, what nature does so you might as well do it yourself but composting is the controlled process of converting organic materials into uh, a valuable soil amendment under aerobic conditions, which meaning there's, there's oxygen in the soil, uh, using biologically generated heat. As stuff decomposes, it goes through chemical changes, chemical processes that release heat and energy. Um, in contrast, a vermicomposting pile uh, should be maintained so that it does not heat up. You want it to be, you know, like I said, uh, what did I say? Between 55 and 85 degrees Fahrenheit, whereas regular composting, uh, I'll have to look this up, but I believe it gets it gets a lot hotter than that. It's so hot that you can actually use it as a heat source for, you know, heating up like a, a shower. I've seen videos of people doing that. Who knows how warm that shower is, but I've seen it done. Because vermicompost is actually a cooler, composting system, it actually allows for a greater diversity of microorganisms to live there. And like I said before, the more diverse a culture, the more different functions each thing's going to be able to, These, the, the more things it's going to do, the more connections it's going to make, the stronger your network is going to be in the soil, which is what you really want. Because it's not just the worms you're cultivating, it's the worms, it's the fungi, it's the bacteria, it's the it's all these tiny microorganisms that live in conjunction with the worms and they all help each other to break down your food scraps and create create better soil faster. Again, you can probably hear Camille laughing in the background. She loves to laugh while she works, that's so nice. So I'll give some resources for uh, further uh, information on vermicomposting. And again, the Los Angeles County Public Works website has a really good um, section on uh, vermicomposting that has like a fact sheet that you can click on that is actually pretty detailed. So does Glendale, uh, Glendale Water and Power's website has the same thing or similar to it, another good fact sheet. Again, that book by Rhonda Sherman, Worm Farmers Handbook. Also, YouTube has plenty of videos on how to get started. It's kind of a kitschy thing to do uh, in certain places, so there's definitely a lot of like eco-hipster worm farm cute box building DIY projects. They have a ton of them on Etsy. If you wanna spend 200 bucks on a couple pieces of wood, you can do that there. Uh, suit yourself. Or or send us money for our trip to Belize and our worm farm down there. Which actually leads me to the next part of the podcast, which is the outro. <laughs> we have t-shirts for sale. Uh, we're going to be doing a worm farm down in Belize. It's called We Gotta Dirt. And we have a mascot called Slimy to Worm. And we have t-shirts featuring Slimy the Worm peddling his dirt on the back. And uh, the No Worries Pig on the front. They're really cool. They uh, come in oatmeal white or tie-dye. And uh, get your hands on one by reaching out to me through the Instagram, which is Duende Belize or Radio Duende. Uh, There's two different Instagram accounts, one specifically for the podcast, one for our uh, resort that we're going to be building down there. Eventually, I'm sure we'll have a We Got a Dirt (laughs) uh, Instagram, but maybe not. Maybe they... Maybe we can just roll that into Duende Belize. But anyway, go to those two for news about the resort or our general efforts to start this thing, and I'll post uh, relevant stuff on it. You can email me at kianeggett, K-E-A-N-E-G-G-E-T-T, at gmail.com for the t-shirts or any other questions or comments about the podcast, about Belize, if you have a story to tell, uh, maybe some cool ghost encounters that happened down there, maybe jaguar sightings, Uh, This, that, or the other thing. Uh, That's it for this episode. I'll come back again. I wanted to talk about some cool stuff about worms, some fun facts, but this is already a 25-minute long episode, so I'll let you guys go. Thanks for listening. Uh, We'll talk to you next time. Stay creepy crawly out there. By the way, the theme song, again, is by Luis Flores. Thanks again, Luis. See you later. A Chachi's microphone, a Hachi Chachi's microphone, a hachichachi's microphone, a Hachi microphone, a Hachi a microphone, a Hachi microphone, ah, a ha, 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 ha.